We're going to dive into uh, uh, the last uh, topic here around uh, this, this series that I've been doing on, on DNA. And I think it'll be a good thing to start with a, with a word of prayer, and then, uh, and then we're going to get into it this morning. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your presence and your goodness. I want to thank you that we have the privilege and the freedom to come before you in worship, to bring all of who we are. I want to just thank you, Lord, this morning that you continue to work in our lives. You continue to work in our hearts, our minds. You work in our marriages, in our families, Lord, within our community. Every promise that you have given to us is true. We can stand on that. We can stand and be reminded of you, stand in and be reminded of your goodness because you are a good God. And Lord, I just pray that everyone here in this room this morning who perhaps has not come to that place of really just understanding just how good you are, that, that increasingly as they, as they walk with you, as they learn from you, as your spirit fills them and gives them insight and wisdom, that they will have a deeper understanding of just how good you are, our God. And so, Lord, even as we come into this time of ministry this morning, I just pray that the words would not put us off, but that the words would be something that we, that we mull over, that we come back to check uh, against the teaching of your word, and that we lay it before you as we seek to follow you with everything uh, that you've given to us, everything that you've gifted us with, every competency, everything, Lord, our everything. And so I just, uh, I just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so um, w what we've been doing over the last three weeks is we've been diving into really the best ways to engage in the spiritual life of renew. That's what we've been talking about. And uh, so I'm going to bring this to a close this morning with probably one of the most more difficult topics to talk about in church world because this has impacted people in so many different ways. But um, I'm going to go there this morning. Can I go there? Well, I'm going there, okay? Uh, I'm going to go there and I'm going to talk about these things. Um, but before I do that, let me just remind you for one last time, regardless of whether you grew up in the Christian faith, like, you know, if you've grown up in a Christian household, because many people grow up in a Christian household and, and you know, well, I'm a Christian because of that. Uh, or, or whether you have discovered Jesus later on in life, if you've discovered the Christian way of life later on in your life. Uh, even if you've grown up in a household or, or you've come to that place later on in life, we all have to come to a, a decision about Jesus. We all have to come to a decision about Jesus and His impact on our life. Right? We've got to make a decision to consciously embrace Jesus and to work to make the depth and the riches of Christianity our own. We actually, have to, we've actually, we actually have to work at it. It doesn't just happen. We actually have to seek after God and follow God and say, Lord, you come and work in my life. And that's the process of being made holy. That's the process of sanctification, right? The work of the Spirit within us. But we have a lot of say in how much of the Holy Spirit's activity gets to take place in our lives. We can shut the Holy Spirit down. Scripture tells us we can quench the work of the Spirit in our lives. And I want to encourage you that if you're going to embrace everything that God has for you, then open up your life increasingly to the work of the Holy Spirit. We all have to come to this place of conversion. I've been talking about being converted over the last couple of weeks. We've got to come to a place of conversion or not. Yeah? I mean, God in His love has given each one of us free will. He's given each one of us the freedom to choose. He will never force himself on us. He is the ultimate gentleman, to coin a phrase, right? He's given each one of us free will. So the decision lies with us. But our hope within this church community is that we all will engage in this life of repentance, where we, will, where we turn from sin in our life, where we turn away from those things that are not of God, those things that are impure, those things that are not holy, that we turn from those in repentance to Christ Jesus in faith. That's our hope. Our hope is that increasingly in our church community, we will find a, a, a remnant of people who will stand against the way of a world that is rapidly falling apart, the way of a world that is rapidly moving away from belief in the one true God. 
that we'll turn our back on the system of this world, that we'll turn our back on the anti-God values of this world, that we'll turn our back to dead religion, that we'll turn our back to self-righteousness, all of these things, and that we would commit to follow in the way of Jesus. But here's the thing. Here's the deal. Every single one of us needs uh, accessible, concrete, non-legalistic, tangible practices to live this way of life. There are certain disciplines that we have to engage in our life. Just like you wake up in the morning and get some toothpaste on your toothbrush, hopefully, and you give your old teeth, your ivories, a little good brush and freshen up your breath and get all the plaque off and you do that morning and night and maybe a third time or a fourth time in the day, I don't know. But that's a, that's a discipline, that's a habit because you, you, you don't want to be breathing foul breath over, you don't want things crawling through your teeth, right? You don't want leftover food in your teeth. You want your teeth clean. And so that's a discipline, that's a practice that we have. And it's the same thing when it comes to our walk with God. We need a way to, to experience Uh, We need practices or disciplines to experience the depth and the riches of the Christian faith. And so that's why at Renew, there are some things that we do. There are some things that are part of our DNA, so so to speak. These are things that we don't do in isolation as as a church community. We do these things because this is what the Christian church does. So... As a congregation of converts, not convicts, but a con- converts here at Renew, as a con- congregation of people who are saying, I've committed to f- walk in the way of Jesus, there are, are, are some things that we, do, uh, that we aim to do really well. And these are the three things. We want to love God well. We want to love ourselves well. We want to love others well. We laid this out right from the start. We said we want to be a church that is learning to love God well. We want to be the kind of church that goes, who is God? How does God impact my life? What is in this book? Why is it a holy book? How can I learn about him? How can I engage with him? How can I open up my life to him? So we want to learn how to love God well. And if you learn to love God well, and you get to know who God is, everything in your life is ultimately going to change. And it's going to change for the better. And so that's the first thing. The second is that we want to learn to love ourselves well. And why do we want to learn to love ourselves well? This is not about, you know, the, it's bored of me, it's, it's an ego trip. No, it's none, none, nothing like that. Loving ourselves well, learning to love ourselves well, means that we, we come to a place of understanding just who we are in the eyes of God. That we are, we are image bearers. That we have likeness ability. In other words, we can be like Him. We are called to be like Him. There's something amazingly unique about human beings. And we're living in a world right now where a lot of people are completely lost and confused about who they are, increasingly. And that agenda is being pushed all the more in our society. And the only person who will ever change it is Jesus. And so when we come to learn to know who God is, we will begin to understand who we are and we'll begin to learn to love ourselves well. And then thirdly, to love other people well. Not to be a doormat to people, but to love them well. To love them like Jesus would love them. To love them so much that you'd have the courage to go the extra mile for them. To love them so much that you would have the courage to point out the errors of their ways. Right? To love others well. These are the three things here that we call, we call them our spiritual formation distinctives here at Renew. And then we also have what we call a, a rule of life. And a rule of life is something that, it's a term that goes back thousands of years, way back to the early church. And it's really just a plan. It's just a way in which you personally can grow. So if you have to say to yourself, well, how do I learn to love God well? How do I learn to know who I am? How do I learn to love other people well? There's things that you need to begin to put into your life and do, and that's going to begin to shape your heart. And so we've got this rule of life. There's a bookmark with it on at the information table. There's a little pamphlet that you can pick up from there with it on. And it's on our website. And really, it's just, it's, it's, it's not for the collective. It's for you. It's an individual thing. It's a thing that you can take and say, well, if I begin to put these practices into place, the likelihood is I'm going to grow in my walk with God, right? This is, this is what it means to grow and have purpose in living out my faith. But now because we are also 
uh, a church community who love one another. Really rather slow this morning. <clears throat> Just going to have a little sip of water. Do you love the person sitting next to you? Evan? Good. Just checking. It's his brother sitting next to him. <laughs> we, um, as a church, as a community, have some practical things that, that we encourage everyone here at Renew to do. Okay, And I, I said <laughs> three or four weeks ago, I said, I'm going to sound like a broken record, and I probably have sounded like a broken record over the last couple of weeks. But there are four things that we ask people to do here at Renew. The first one is to join us on Sundays. Now, why join us on Sundays? Well, I spoke about the fact that this, is, this, this has to do with our worship. This has to do with coming to offering all of who we are to God. And Sunday is the first day of the week. What better way to start your week than to put, your place, put yourself in a place where God comes first? Where you just say, God, I've come to worship you so that the next six days I'm able to get through them. I'm putting you first. Right? Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be taken care of. Right? That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. So we encourage you to join us on Sundays. The second thing, if you're part of this church community, is we ask you to, to you know, again, I'm not going to be legalistic about this. I'm not going to twist arms, but I'm going to encourage you very, very strongly to get into a small group. Join a small group. Why would I say to you get into a small group? Because I'm telling you that's the place where you can become known and you will then know other people. It's easy on a Sunday to have that, you know, we don't get into the depths of real friendship and understanding and prayer for one another on a Sunday like we would in a small group. A small group really is where you can begin to um, lay your life down and see others lay their, life, their lives down on your behalf. This is a place where you begin to build friendship, true friendship, right? Spiritual friendships. This is a place where um, there's care for one another, you know? It's, it's, this is like if somebody's sick, and, and somebody's got to you know, stand in the gap and say, I'll take your kids to school or I'm going to bring you a meal or you organize meals, whatever. That's where it happens, in a small group. So we spoke about that. And if you're not in a small group and you're feeling guilty, the third point is, I'm joking, okay, no, con, no condemnation. It's just I'm really, I'm really, I am going to just be strong on that. I've got to be honest with you. Um, the, the, and also let me just say on small groups, it's not a difficult thing. This is about friendship. It's not a difficult thing to get a few people together. And I even said that when I spoke about this, just once a month, where you're just ringing up, hey, you know, whatever their name is, Jimmy, Susie, let's get together. We're just going to maybe share a meal and have a chat about God and pray for an hour or two. We can do that once a month if we've got such busy schedules. If we can do it in two, every two weeks, we'll do it every two weeks. Okay. The third one is to find somewhere to serve. And I spoke about this last Sunday. Every single one of us has been gifted in ways by God that are unique. We each have talent, competencies, um, spiritual giftings. And God has given those giftings for the purpose of building up the life of the church. If you don't believe me, go and read what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. And if you've not found a place to serve yet, there's a poster at the back there with all the serving areas. And what we encourage you to do over here is even just give it a, give it a bash. We've got a few folk this morning who are just giving it a, giving it a try, doing a first serve. So, well, let, let me see, how, see if I can do this. And if you, if you do commit to serve, I'm not asking you to sign in blood. I'm not asking you to sign a contract that says you're in this forever. Because at the end of every year, we just say, hey, consider what you're doing. Are you happy to commit to it again? Do you need a, a break? If you need a break, don't take a break forever. Take a little break and come back and find a place to serve. You know, if you continue, are you ready to continue? That's, that's what you do. We check in every year. But the reason why we ask you to commit for the year is so that we've got the continuity. So that we can say, hey, we know who's going to be there on Sunday to help us put the chairs out. We know who's going to be there to help with the tea and coffee. Make sense? Let's talk about the last point today. I'll just read it to you. Give a portion of your income regularly. Oh, money. Oh, if you're visiting with us this morning, let me just please tell you, it's not something that we speak about very often around here. But every now and again, it's an important topic to talk about because it's here. It's right here. 
So I'm going to speak this morning about our financial giving, and I've entitled this message, Our Generosity. And this is um, about giving a portion of our income to the work of the Lord through, through the church. Now, I'm going to start with probably a f- couple of forthright comments over here, and I don't want anybody to get offended. Uh, um, I was debating on whether to mention names, but I just feel I'm, I'm not going to mention names. But I'm going to talk about a very high-profile couple who have been in ministry for a long time and led a large church and who are now starting an online church. I have a problem with an online church because I don't know that that's even of God because the way of the world is to do things online. And what online does, anything online removes you from fellowship, removes you from community. And the church is not supposed to be an online community. It is supposed to be an in-person, togetherness, fellowship-type community where I see you and you see me. There was one church a little while back who actually also tried to do this online thing. And, and, and you could actually choose your own avatar. You could look at the screen and you'd see this picture of a church and choose your avatar. And your avatar could go and find a seat. And then there'd be a little screen in the middle of the screen and you could watch the pastor doing his thing. What a lot of nonsense. That's not church. It's quite fine to watch stuff online and be encouraged, but don't find your church in that world. That's the world we need to leave behind. It's in person. It's community. It's the rubbing up against each other. Right? Anyway, that's not my point. I read this article on churchleaders.com, and I felt it. I felt I wanted to just say this this morning because it speaks to the church and its relationship with money. And so this article contains, contained information about a, a hot mic audio recording that accidentally got uploaded to a, a, a certain church's YouTube page. And in the recordings, there is discussion about the offering. And by offering, they are talking specifically about the financial giving. And the wife was overheard saying to the husband that he needed to hook the audience. He needed to make sure that he would hook the audience so that they don't leave before he gave his offering announcement. The conversation then moved on to talk about the Rolex watch that the wife had on her arm. And I was deeply saddened by what I was reading. And I just want to say this morning at the outset over here, when a church gives a disproportionate amount of time to asking for your money, my advice is to tread cautiously. There are many churches around today who make a very big deal about the offering every week. They put a supercharged amount of energy into getting people to give. When when they talk about offering, That's the word that they use. That's the terminology. They are speaking specifically about the giving of money. But actually, when we assemble ourselves as the church in person for worship, our offerings are more than just our monetary resources. In Romans 12 verse 1, we read that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. We are to bring all of who we are in worship of God. That, that verse says that that is our spiritual worship. It says that it is our true and reasonable worship. And God is not nearly as interested in our monetary offerings as he is in our submission and our obedience. The truth is that really God does not need our resources to accomplish his plans and his purposes. He needs nothing from us. But what God desires and what God values is a heart that overflows with gratitude. A heart that overflows with thanksgiving to the God who has saved us. To the God who has given us all things. To the God who knows our deepest needs before we even ask Him. And so a person with a heart posture like that is going to give to the work of the Lord generously and willingly and cheerfully in response to the love and the grace of Christ. There's absolutely no need to hook anyone when we put Christ at the center of all that we do. And that's why we made that decision here at Renew not to do a financial offering every week. If you've been here, if you've been traveling with us for some time, you'll know that. We don't send stuff around and we do not do that here at Renew. 
but it's nonetheless important to talk about this topic because you know money money tells us a lot about ourselves it really it's, it's quite an interesting thing if you if you want to know what somebody values or what somebody really hopes for or what somebody's real priorities are a good way to tell is to 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 look at how they handle their money to, to look at how they steward their money because money is is the way that we ultimately express what we really believe and what we really value now thank god for god because god knows all about this stuff and that's why it's well worth talking about money every so often which is what i'm going to do today i'm going to talk about money filthy lucre right money makes the world go round that it does uh the love of money is the root of all evil as well not money being the root of all evil the love of money is the root of all evil now when you go to scripture you find that the fundamental practice that god gave to his people to train them in generosity was through this thing called tithing who likes that word i see not a single hand i see a few hands i see okay This was the practice that we find in the Old Testament. Tithing comes from a Hebrew word. It literally means it means the tenth part or one tenth or or ten percent. Now, in the Christian church today, there are a whole lot of people who believe that followers of Jesus, believers in Christ, should tithe, right? That they should take ten percent of their income and give it to the work of the Lord through the church. but on the other hand there are also a lot of people who are convinced that tithing is not required for believers i'm just going to put my i'm going to wave my flag and tell you where i stand on this in my view i believe that the bible definitely teaches that christians are to give that christians are to be generous in this area of their finances and i also believe that the historical guideline the historical standard for giving in scripture is 10%. Now, whether you agree with me or not, whether you agree with the tithe or not, I am just going to say this that some percentage level of giving in your life is essential in your walk with God. It is essential for holiness because it is it works in the area of your faith. it is essential for and actually vital for the ongoing work of the church if we're part of a church community we're saying i'm going to make sure that i'm giving into this community for it to thrive and be resourced and the other thing about some level of percentage giving is that it is required to receive god's blessing god will bless you anyway but in this area specifically there's a big connection to blessing So we're going to dig in and we're going to read a passage of scripture that I'm sure most of you have probably heard a thousand times before if you've been around the church. It comes from a, pro- a prophet named Malachi and Malachi was tasked to talk to the people of God. And so here's what Malachi says in Malachi chapter 3 verses 7 through to 12. God says to his people, "Ever since the days of your ancestors you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them." Return to me and I will return to you says the Lord of hosts. But you lot say how shall we return? And God says will anyone rob God? Right? Like a rhetorical question. Is anyone going to rob God? Yet you are robbing me. And you say but how are we robbing you? In your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. so that there may be food in my house and put me to the test says the lord of hosts see if i will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing i will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the produce of your soil and your vine in the field shall not be barren says the lord of hosts and then all the nations will count you happy for you will be a land of delight says the lord of hosts so uh, is what I'm going to talk about this morning. I want to talk a little bit about this concept of tithing today. If you've grown up in church world, you've probably heard it before, you probably know a little bit about tithing. But if you're new to this, if you've never heard this word spoken about before, you're probably thinking that's a real archaic word. That's a real olden days word. 
And it might even sound like a crazy financial idea to you. You might be sitting there thinking, why in the world would anybody ever want to do anything like this? So I want to just give you a couple of answers to some questions this morning that, that maybe you've kind of had before. So here's the first one. What exactly is tithing? Right? Let's just get this out of the way. Tithing bakes, bakes, dates back to the Old Testament times. Right? It dates back way, way to the, to the very beginning of the Old Testament. And it has been adopted by the Christian church where people give um, a tenth of their income, where they contribute 10% of their income for religious purposes. Right? That's, that's what the tithe has been traditionally. It, it's a, it's, it's, um, whether it's money or the equivalent in crops or animals, it was used to support and maintain churches and assist the poor. So the practice of tithing is understood to be giving 10% of my income back to God. Okay, that's tithing. Next question. What does the Bible have to say about tithing? Well, we are going to spend the entire day here if we begin to pull out what Scripture has to say about tithing. So I'm only going to pull out probably two verses here. We do not have the time to get into a, a deep dive on this. But the Bible's got a lot to say about it. The very first explicit references to the tithe are found in Genesis 14, where Abraham tithes to the priest Melchizedek. And then in Genesis 28, where Jacob promises to give God a full tenth. And it's very, very clear if you go back to Genesis chapter 4, that the very first family on earth knew that they had a responsibility to give God a portion of what God had given to them. They were even held responsible for the kind of offering that they gave. God accepted Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's offering. And it's very interesting because the Old Testament later on links the, the, um, the offering of the, of the firstborn or the first fruits to the tithe. So it's quite possible that Abel's offering was accepted precisely because it was a tithe. Now, we don't have, like I said, time to get into every passage, but I want to look at a few key ones here this morning. One from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. Leviticus 27 verse 30. Here's what God says to his people. All tithes from the land, whether the seed from the ground or the fruit from the tree, are the Lord's. They are holy to the Lord. <clears throat> Has anybody got a job here? Is your job on the planet or off the planet? It's on the planet. Anybody got a job in space? No? Okay, right. So your, your income, your fruit, your, your money comes from the place where you work and it's earthbound. It's earthbound, right? So back in the Old Testament, uh, everything was very much earthbound. It was from the seeds in the ground and the fruit from the tree. Um, but... The same thing applies for us today. A lot of what we have comes out of this earth. A lot of what we do has to do with this world in which we live. And what the Bible tells us over here is that the tithes are holy to the Lord. They are holy to the Lord. Right? So in the Old Testament, people were to treat it as something holy. Something that did not belong to them, but to the Lord. Let me say that again. It did not belong to them. It belonged to the Lord. Now, this is a big thing for some people to get their heads around. The tithe was something to be given or not given. Uh, at was not something to be given or give. Let me get this right. The tithe was not something to be given or not given at people's discretion. It was not a discretionary deal. Bringing the tithe was an act of obedience and submission to God. Now, you know, I have been in ministry for a fairly long time. And it's, very, it's been very interesting to me in my years as a minister. I've had a lot of discussions with people around money. A lot of discussions about the giving and the tithing deal. And on many occasions, I've found that the reason why people don't want to tithe is because they think it's too much. Or they think they can't afford it. So they try to find a reason not to do it. But you know, when you, when you walk with God, you come to a place of having a revelation that the tithe already doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. And when you come to that revelation, you'll be more apt to do it. Now, I know this might sound offensive to some people. So maybe, just, maybe I should just switch the word 
tithing to the word giving for a moment, right? Let's just take tithing aside. Let's talk about giving for a moment. And here's the thing. Everything about this world is one of two ways. Everything. Scripture keeps telling us this. Ancient, the writings from the early church right up until now keep telling us there are two ways. There's the way of life and there's the way of death. There's the way of light and there's the way of darkness. And if you're sitting here this morning and you've, and you've been walking with God, you'll, you'll know that we have an enemy. We have an enemy. And when it comes to our money, let me tell you something about the devil. The, dev- the devil definitely does not want you to give. Definitely not. The work of the church, not that I'm against that. The devil does not want you to give. But the teaching of Scripture, folk, let me just remind you, tells us that disobedience places us in enemy territory. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking those whom he might devour, Peter tells us. Right? So when we are disobedient, it places us in enemy territory. And when it comes to our money, when we are not obedient to God in that area, it gives an open door to the enemy to wreak havoc in our lives, especially in the area of our finances. And that's why it's so important to honor God in the area of our money, to give a portion back to God for all that he has given to us. You see, everything that we have is really a gift from God. Everything. Everything that I have is a gift from God. I am nothing without God. But it's like God is saying in the Bible, he's saying, I want to teach you about generosity. I want, I want you to know that generosity is really the law of my kingdom. That's the, way the, that's the way that life works. And so I want you to regard the tithe, the 10%, as, as not even belonging to you because it's mine. God says, I want you to regard the tithe as mine. And so when you read the Old Testament, you find that God was very, very clear about the fact that his people had to give back to him. And, and, and he gave them instructions about what that entailed. Now, I know a lot of people go, well, that's the Old Testament. That's the law, right? Okay. Let's just remember this. Tithing actually gets endorsed by Jesus in the New Testament. There was a time when he was criticizing the religious leaders um, because they were so nitpicky about their tithing. They would even tithe on, on the spices that they had. Actually, the, the, there were big debates amongst the rabbis on what you had to tithe on. So they, were, they were really were. They were nitpickingly self-righteous about their tithing, but then they would violate the other commandments. And so in Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus comes and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He says, You hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. Jesus says you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, Jesus does not say, are you guys still tithing? You guys still do it? Hey, the policy's changed now. You don't have to tithe anymore. You know, Jesus doesn't come and say to them, forget that. It's a, it's a new deal. No, no. He says you should have observed justice, mercy, and faith without neglecting the tithe. And, and when you start searching the scripture, you will find that, that the Bible has an enormous amount to say about our financial generosity. So the, the Bible's got a lot to say about it. Let's go to the next question. I want to talk here about the first fruits principle. What's the first fruits principle? Because this is connected to tithing. It's connected to our giving. Okay. I think most people, when it comes to their money, to their finances, right? The way that most people approach their finances is to look at their expenses. Every fortnight, every month, they go, well, what, what have we got to take care of first? Right? And so before they give or before they tithe, they look at the cost of life. What have I got to pay here to get through another month? What have I got to pay to get through another two weeks? But here's the thing about looking at your expenses first. Here's what's going to happen. Your life is just going to fill up with expenses. It's just going to fill up with expenses. No matter, even if you get a raise or you get more money, the more money you get, the more expenses you're going to get. And all of those expenses are going to demand a piece of the pie. Right? They're going to demand a piece of the pie. And, and, and normally, the first piece of the pie that a lot of people have is a house. Yeah? 
You know, how big and expensive is housing these days? Yeah? Your mortgage, your rent, it's a big slice of the pie. And so that's just gone. And then a lot of people have kids. And do kids take up a big slice or a little slice of the pie? They take up a massive slice of the pie. Those greedy little, you know, toys and clothes and school. You know, kids are really expensive. And then there's a car, right? And people like to drive nice cars, so that costs money. And then there are all kinds of insurance, and, and that costs money. And then there's, there's food, right? You've got to eat, and food has like got exorbitant these days, and so that costs money. And then you want to take a holiday or a trip somewhere, and all of it costs money. And after all of that is gone, all that is left is leftovers. And so all I have to give to God is from my leftovers. Now, I know that's not our intention, I don't think anybody plans to be ungenerous. It's just that we so often land up doing the leftover thing. So I have to tell you, God doesn't do the leftover thing. He doesn't do the leftover thing. And God's plan for the human race is not to do the leftover thing. In fact, you're not being obedient to God with your finances if you are doing the leftover thing. Neither tithing nor generosity is ever going to happen in your life if that is the approach you have to stewarding your finances, doing the leftover thing. And here's where this really important principle comes into play. And it's closely associated with tithing. In the Bible, it's called first fruits. Now, in the the Old Testament, the Old Testament was written in in, in an agrarian economy. The main financial asset for, for most people had to do with agriculture, right? And so they would honor God straight off of the top of their harvest off of the top of their, their produce. And so you read verses like this from Proverbs 3. It says, Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your produce. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your produce. And if you do that, then your barns, here's the blessing part. It says, Your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with, with wine. Or Exodus 34, 26. It says, Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. And so the idea here was that you set aside the first portion. You set that aside to give to God. And so that's what people would say. They would say, I'm giving straight off of the top. I'm going to honor God, right? That's the first fruits principle. So the tithe was not just a tenth. It was the first tenth of their income. And in Israel, people were so committed to this in ancient Israel that the farmers would go through their fields and the, the first trees that they began to see with fruit, they'd actually tie a reed to that to say that's God's. That's the first fruits. That goes to God. And I'm just going to trust God that the rest of the harvest comes in. Right? That's what they did. They tended to be more aware than we are that they were dependent on God to be alive. I think it was a bigger faith thing for them to give than it really than it is for the vast majority of us. Right? But they do it. They just say, God, I'm, I trust you so much. The first fruits which I'm tempted to hold on to, I'm going to give to you. And so what, God was, what God's kind of saying over here is that 90% of your income with my blessing is more than 100% of your income without my blessing. The same principle applied to their animals, um, the firstborn of their flock, Exodus 34, 19. The first offspring of every womb belongs to me, including all the firstborn males of your livestock, whether from herd or flock. So it's not just 10% here, it's the very first 10%. And so just kind of this is the way it would work for us. I get paid, like when I get paid every fortnight or every month, right? The first payment that I'm going to make, whether it's by a direct debit or whether it's an online payment or or it's a credit card or cash, the first payment that the teaching of Scripture tells me that I should make is a payment to God. My my tithe, my giving, my percentage level giving is, is to God. God, this is yours. The very first part, would you bless me with what I have left? And God, I just want to thank you for your blessing. I want to thank you for what you have given to me. Now, you, you might wonder, well, what about my mortgage? You know, the, the landlord, the, you, know, what, you know, shouldn't I be paying them first? We need a roof on over our heads, you know? What about the bank? Here's, here's the thing. The bank can't bless your finances. Your landlord can't bless your finances. Have you ever noticed that? You know, 
So far in my life, Visa has never called me up and said, Hey, Andrew, if you pay us first, man, we're going to pour out such great blessings on your financial life. Visa have never done that. In fact, Visa kind of hopes that I don't pay them. So then that massive interest rate kicks in and I land up blessing their financial life. Yeah? And so the reality is the best way to afford to tithe or the best way to afford to begin to give is to, to do it. <laughs> it's to start somewhere, to begin to do it. Because if you wait, whatever season you might be in, there's always going to be a reason to wait. Some of you have been waiting for a very long time. I'm going to do it. When I get the money, I'm going to do it. It doesn't work that way. The more money you get, the more ex your expenses are going to grow. So there's always going to be a reason to wait. And if you wait to tithe or if you wait to give you, like, until you can afford to do it, you'll probably never do it. You see, here's the thing about money, folk. Here's the thing about money. Money is never about money. Money is never about money. Money is about trust. What do I really trust? You see, it doesn't, it doesn't require any trust to give God out of my leftovers. I don't really have to trust. I don't have, really have to do this in faith. Leftovers require no trust at all. And what God's wanting to teach us is to live by faith. He wants us to exercise faith. You know, this is the truth about the human condition. I think too many of us, especially in the area of our finances, we want to be in control. I'm, I'm going to control this, right? And the first fruit principle kind of works against that. So if I'm in control, the leftover thing is going to work better for me. But the truth is that none of us are in control. And the reason why I give God that income first is because I know that it's a step of faith and I know that my God is a faithful God. He is a faithful God. And so tithing or giving is going to test your faith. But tithing and giving will build your faith as well. It is, a, it is both a test and a faith builder. Okay, next question. A lot of people ask this. Do I have to tithe on my net or on the gross? <clears throat> okay, I reckon the simple answer is, which one do you want God to bless? <laughs> the net or the gross? Actually, actually, I think this goes to a, to a, to a, a, a deeper question. Because people, people often say, you know, tithing, isn't that part of the, the Old Testament, that legalistic system? You know, it's the law. That's where tithing comes from. I, 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 I'm free of that. I'm, I'm freed by grace. You know, I, I'm, in, I'm under a new covenant. So isn't the tithing thing, you know, that's that Old Testament legalistic deal. And it's a really, that's a really, really good question. It's an important question. I, I wanted to tell you from the very beginning, tithing was never meant to be a legalistic practice. This tithing, giving of our financial resources has always been about the heart. It's always been about trust. Way back in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 15 and verse 10, God tells his people to give liberally and be ungrudging when they did so. Because if they did that, right, for on this account, if you did that, then God was going to bless them in all of their work and in everything that they undertook. Give liberally and be ungrudging when you do so, for on this account the Lord God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. From the very beginning, it was a heart attitude thing. From the very beginning, it's always been a heart issue. And in the New Testament, Paul tells us, he tells the Corinthians about how the kind of heart that we should have when it comes to our giving. And sorry, it's not 1 Corinthians, it's 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. Paul says, each of you must give as you've made up your mind, not regretfully, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This has always been about a heart attitude. Your giving, whether it's from the net or the gross, whether it's 10% or 50% or 20% or 1%, is a matter of the heart. But Scripture is telling you, you need to do something in that area of your life. God has blessed you. A portion of that needs to go back to the work of God. That's the teaching of the Word. So, next question. What happens if you do it? What happens if I tithe? Well, what happens if I give? Well, the simple answer is that you will be blessed. Yes, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. The Bible is remarkably clear about this. You will be 
blessed. God says, I want you to give, I want you to tithe, and then just look, just wait and see if I don't throw open the doors of heaven, the floodgates of heaven, and pour out on you such a blessing that there will be no, no room to contain it all, not enough room to store it all. God will bless you. But here's what you've got to understand. This is not some self-centered, tricky way to get rich. That's the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel comes along and says, you give, you give, you pray, you pray, give, give, pass the biggest bucket around. Have you given? Give more. That's the kind of prosperity gospel deal. And if you do that, you're going to be rich. You're going to be blessed. Man, you're going to be out of your mind rich. I've heard some of these people say these things. This is not that deal. This is about God's blessing. Yes, in your financial area, because I know in this church even, people have seen God bless them because of their, their, them honoring the Lord in this area. But it's more than just financial blessing. It's the protection of God. It's the provision of God in other ways. It's the health in your life, in your being, in your mind. The blessing of God that flows into everything. I was just telling Shirley Lee this morning, um, because she's been struggling a bit, I, just said to, I reminded her that in the, in the book of Acts, the scripture says that we live and move and have our being in Him, in God. Whether you believe or whether you don't believe, all of humanity lives and moves and has their being in Him. And if that blessing is going to come, that blessing is going to apply to all of who I am. So it's not a self-centered thing. This is not, not, it's not a way to become affluent, right? This is not that. But generosity really is the way that the kingdom works. And, and there are people in our church community, I know, that they tithe. And I think if you had to ask them their experience, their, what their experience has been of tithing, I think a lot of those people are going to say to you, you know what, I've been blessed. I can look back in hindsight and I can see how God has provided and made a way and blessed me. I guarantee you that. You know, there's a beautiful paradox on giving in Proverbs. Proverbs 11, 24. It says, some freely, give freely, yet grow all the richer. How does that work? I'm, I'm going to give to you freely, and yet I'm going to grow all the richer? It's a paradox. How does, it, does, does that make sense? Some give freely, yet grow all the richer. I want to tell you something this morning. You can never outgive God. God will pour blessing into your life. And of course, there's a second half of that verse to consider. Others withhold what is due and only suffer want. Next question. What happens if I don't do this? What happens if I don't give, if I don't tithe? Well, in Malachi 3 verse 9, God says this. He says, you are under a curse because you are robbing God. Woo! Mama! Under a curse, I'm robbing God? Heavy. Strong language. Weird language. What does that mean? What does it even mean? Is, this, is God going to cast a spell on me? <laughs> this is not that, right? When it says that you're under a curse because you're robbing God, I, I, want you to, I want you to think of it this way. Because this is what God's saying. Is he's saying behavior has consequences. Behavior has consequences. And so when you hold back instead of giving, you are going to land up missing out on the blessings and the, the uh, generosity and the joy that God has in store for you. And the likelihood is that you become more anxious, you become more self-preoccupied. That whole deal of your life becomes a very worrisome thing. It's not accidental that the word miserable comes from the word miser. To be a miser is to live in misery, right? And so God says, I don't want that for you. That's why he says... That this curse deal. He says, you know, you're, you're robbing me. Okay, last question. What if I'm freaked out by the whole thing? I'm just, I'm just freaked out by this. this. You want me to give? You want me to take some of my money and give to renew? You, you really want me to do that, man? You don't know why. You, 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 I'm just freaked out by it. This is where God says the most amazing thing. And I know a lot of you know this verse because it's been used to the nth degree. But I'm just going to come back to this verse because it's true. Malachi 3 verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and put me to the test. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you 
and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. It's like God saying, I know you get worried about this area of life. I know that you're going to get scared. I know all about that. But it's, it's like God saying, I'm so determined that you become generous rather than being stingy that I'm going to invite you to do something here that I've never invited anyone to do in any other place in Scripture. Test me in this. Test me. You know, in other parts of the Bible, we are told that you shall not test the Lord your God. Jesus quotes that in the New Testament and he says, don't test God. Because if you're testing something, what is, if you're going to test it, what does testing mean? If I'm going to test it, it means that I'm actually withholding my trust. I'm, I don't really believe you. I need, I need to test this. I'm not going to have faith in that until I, until I test it. Right? So testing means that you withhold your trust. You withhold belief. You withhold your faith because you're not going to do it until it's proven to you, until something's shown to you. But that doesn't work with God because God's already done everything that needs to be done through Jesus Christ. He's done what needs to be done. But what God says to us is, I'm so determined that, that you become generous that I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to humble myself. And so God says, Test me in this. Test me. Test me. See if I don't pour blessing into your life. See if I don't bless you in ways that you're absolutely amazed at. Just see. God actually says, test me in this. Maybe you've never done that before. And for some of you, I know, I know, I know. You struggle with this. You struggle with tithing. You struggle with the giving stuff. You struggle. You and really, it's because I don't think you really know what it is to fully trust God with your money. To put God first in this area of your life. And so I'm just going to say it again. I'm just going to say, try it. right? Because God actually gives you permission to test Him on this one. Let me ask you this question. Who of you believe that God is real? Most of us, I reckon. I saw most hands. So really, it shouldn't be a problem. If you're sitting here thinking there is no God, I can understand it's going to be a problem. But if you think that there is a God and God says, test me in this, then it really shouldn't be a problem. And if you're still sitting there this morning thinking this tithing thing isn't, you know, it's nonsense, it's not required of Christians today, I'm just going to remind you, go and read the New Testament because Scripture teaches that we are to support those who have given their life to the work of the gospel, that we are supposed to support the work of the ministry of the church, and even though we enjoy the good things that God has given us, we are still called to be generous to those who are in need. That's all over the New Testament. Folk, wealth, money, can very easily become an idol in our lives. And I've seen some Christians come from nothing, right? From zero, they become a hero. And they are blessed by God. And it's because they've been faithful to God. And then I've seen people come to this place where they kind of go, mm, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to continue giving to God, to the work of God. And that the reason why is, is because their wealth and their money has become an idol in their life. And I've seen people abandon the Lord because money and wealth has become an idol to them. You know, if God is to be our treasure, then we should be the kind of people who will give generously and freely. And for some of you, it might mean that you give more than 10%. But the historical standard of Scripture, the historical standard of giving is 10%. And if that's too difficult for you to cope with, I just want to say again, make a start somewhere. Some level of percentage giving where you're setting aside a portion of your income towards the purposes of God through the church is important for your walk with God. It is important for that holiness um, transformation that is happening in your life. And as you do this in faith, I'm telling you now that you will begin to see the blessing and the protection of God in your life in very, very clear ways. And there endeth the lesson. Debbie, to say something, we'll get a microphone for you. Okay. Um, hi, everyone. Um, for anyone here that doesn't know our family, we're the Skitter family. 
Um, we arrived from South Africa about 10, well, actually 10 years ago. And um, we are a large family. It's me, Billy, five kids, and my mom came with us. So um, when we arrived in Perth, the rental crisis was exactly as it was now, um, through the roof. Um, so we struggled to find a rental. We also knew that there was a 40-foot container on its way, so we needed to find a large house to help, you know, have everyone. We found a house in Quinns, um, which, can you believe, was $850 a week. So... Um, we moved into the house, and the money that we bought over from South Africa wasn't a lot. Um, I found a job quite quickly, Billy, about three months, and as soon as we were earning dollars, um, it got a little bit better, um, but then they put the house in the market, and every Saturday we had to clean the house. They kind of reduced the rent a little bit to say, if we clean the, you know, if we can, if they can have a home open every Sunday, um, they'd reduce the rent. So we cleaned on a Saturday, and the good thing was that because we had nowhere to go on a Sunday, we came to church. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so that was it. But we we kind of knew we had to start looking for another place. So we thought to ourselves, okay, we want to own a home. We started looking for a home. We found one in Butler, very, very run down. Um, but within a year of arriving in Australia, we, we didn't have a deposit. No deposit saved. We, we weren't able to save. So we did the wrong thing and made loans <laughs> to have this deposit. Um, and this is where putting us vulnerable because we made a lot of mistakes those first few years. Um, credit cards, trying to fix up the home just to make it livable, the gardens, etc. So very quickly we were in a lot of debt, um, which wasn't ideal, of course, because it's like a snowball. The more debt, the more you make debt, etc., etc. Um, and then one Sunday, I think it was at Saints still, Andrew did this kind of message, and I have a little budget book, so every fortnight or whatever, we work out the budget, and I took my little budget book without telling Billy, <clears throat> I said, we're going to tithe this much, and I literally did not know where the money was going to come from, how we were going to, what we were going to cut back paying debt to pay this tithe. And it's one of those moments where you just click the direct debit button and say pay and recurring, and you just, the payment must go off and off. And for some other reason, by the end of that month, we started tithing and we could still pay our debt. And it kept on like that um, for ages, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then... Um, I'm not sure how long after that. I came upon this podcast called the Dave Ramsey Podcast. He's an um, American radio host guy, which, which teaches you about paying off your debt. And it's all about the snowball effect, etc., etc. Um, so I started with that. My budget book was written like crazy, started planning, kept on tithing, increased our tithes. In the meantime, Billy was in a very unhappy um, workplace situation, um, and he left that work actually to start working at St. Stephen's for probably half the, the, the yearly income that he was on, just because he was so unhappy. And within a month of working at St. Stephen's, he got a call out of the blue from the guy, the owner for the company he's working for now, and said, Billy, someone that I know, someone that you know, said you were looking for a job. I looked at your CV. Would you like to come and see me? And Billy went straight away. He got the job. Lessons left St. Stephen's after a month. Um, and he's been there for five years. And um, things have just, for him, gotten so much better. But through the Dave Ramsey um, podcast... I learned how to do budget, pay off our debt, um, and 
since tithing, we've had health scares, we've had all sorts of st stuff happening in our family. So it wasn't just financial, it was everything worked out. And for me, even if, I don't know, if something happens terrible, you know, for, to us financially, that will be the last thing that I cut back on. Because it's like Andrew said, it's trusting God with that he will provide. And not just financially, but health-wise, kids going through difficult things, etc. For us, God has always, always just been faithful. And I believe it's in tithing and the way that we are trusting God that we have come through a lot of things. Um, so through the Dave Ramsey app and through tithing and God, um, we've paid off all our debt, except our mortgage, of course. But um, it's just been an amazing journey. And I was sitting there, my heart was going, doof, doof, doof. you know, when you, when you feel, yes, the Holy Spirit speaking to me. So um, I just thought it's always nice and amazing to hear messages like this. But as Andrew was saying, there's lots of people here probably sitting and thinking, should I do this? And we, our family, is a good example of exactly, you know, how it's helped us and how um, God has gotten us through this. So thank you. <laughs>